The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Perot columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're catching up with Simon Lill, Executive Chairman of DeGray Mining. DeGray is listed on the ASX under the code DEG, or Delta Echo Golf, if you prefer. It's currently trading at 5.7 cents for a market cap of about $53 million and has gold in the Pilbara as its prime focus. Now, July and August this year were transformational for the company, and I'll ask Simon in a moment to explain that. What I do know is that they've got three rigs out there at the moment, so we can expect a tremendous flow of exploration results in coming months. Now, with that, we'll jump straight into it, and I'll say good day to Simon. Welcome to the show, Simon. Thanks, Barry. How are you going? Good, thank you. Uh, now, Simon, um, I wonder if we could start out, uh, if you could just fill us in a bit on your background, you know, where you were born and raised, your education and your professional career to this point. There's a lot of detail in that, uh, Barry, and uh, where I was born and raised is not necessarily <laughs> that relevant to where I am now. But look, in recent years, uh, I mean, I was educated in Perth and I've spent most of my life living in Perth. Uh, in recent years, I've been working in a, a sector of the uh, market where I've been uh, resurrecting companies out of administration or uh, uh, just companies that have been struggling. And that's how I came to be involved with DeGray back in November of uh, 2013. Uh, and uh, in fact, why I sit on a couple of other boards at the moment as well for those same uh, purposes. So I've uh, grown up with DeGray in the last six years. You don't uh, live in Perth without coming through uh, the mining industry in some uh, areas and uh, my mining industry background does see me at Anaconda Nickel many, many years ago with Andrew Forrest going through the feasibility studies and the financing and, uh, of course, the uh, difficult end of that period as uh, Glencore took control of the project as well. So, Right. Now... I do have to ask you, are you related at all to uh, John Lill of MCG, CEO fame? Uh, yes, Barry, I am. He's my father. Uh, he's still uh, alive and well and living in uh, Dunsborough in Western Australia these days. Right, fantastic. Now, you can tell us now, given he's uh, retired, um, uh, does that mean you uh, never had to worry about getting a Boxing Day ticket or a grand final seat? Yes, look, I've, uh, I feel as I've been very fortunate with my relationship at the MCG over a long period of time. Um, and I've certainly enjoyed uh, many uh, Boxing Day tests and uh, many an AFL grand final as well. So, yes, it's a, it was a fortunate period for me. Mm. Your dad was a, a, a pretty good cricketer. What about yourself as uh, sport-wise? Uh, look, I played a bit of football in, in Perth um, at a good level and then at an amateur level, uh, but played a lot. I, the cricket gene probably skipped a generation from my father, but my son's doing quite well playing for the Melbourne Cricket Club in the uh, A grade at the moment as well. So, oh, Fantastic. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, July and August were uh, transformational for the company and 
we're at the point now where I think we've seen about a, a tenfold plus lift in value over the last couple of years. Um, can you talk us uh, through what happened in July and August and uh, why uh, DeGray's now uh, motoring towards, uh, well, uh, looking at first production in the Pilbara at some point. Yes, okay. So in, through July, August, we eventually agreed with uh, Bill Potter to do an underwritten rights issue through Bill Potter out of their Sydney office. Uh, it was to raise $22 million. There was a placement component to it, um, which was come entitlement. So we raised a total of $22 million through them, um, and that allowed us to conclude a transaction which allowed us to buy probably about a third of our uh, tenement area from a Chinese group, uh, which contained at the time roughly two-thirds of our uh, resources. So it was required to be done. We did have a deadline on the acquisition and um, eventually we had to uh, rip that Band-Aid off, if you'd like to put it like that, and uh, finalise the acquisition which we've done which we believe makes our overall tenement package and the project uh, a lot more secure. I uh, would note that we now own 100% of the main, of all of the resources actually, and the main tenement area. We do have a farming area to the south that we are, are earning into, but uh, unlike many companies of our size, we don't have any joint venturers. We've got 100% of a very, very exciting tenement package up in the Pilbara. Right. Now, I understand DGO Gold, uh, uh, Ed Issues of uh, Exploration Fate, was uh, has been uh, has come onto the share register, and Ed's on the board now. I think they have eleven around eleven percent. Can you t- talk us through what led DGO uh, into taking up that position? Yes, I think uh, Barry, you should have Ed on the on the show in a couple of weeks' time and ask him that more specific question, but. I first met Ed, uh, I'm going to guess, two, two and a half years ago with his colleague, Bruce Parncutt, who's quite a well-known uh, Melbourne identity from the financial circles in Victoria as well. Um, at the time, we were having the, the Pilbara Gold Rush, so to speak, which was that conglomerate gold package, and we were uh, at the centre of that. Um, and Ed was quite intrigued by what we had, which was this large package of shear zone hosted mineralisation that, uh, as he contrasts to many other large packages of shear zone hosted mineralisation, was underexplored. And statistically, Ed would suggest that somewhere on our land package, there is going to be a much larger resource, something in the vicinity of maybe 2 million ounces plus. So at the moment, part of our drilling is looking at some of the undercover areas and... uh, trying to access uh, what could be out there. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and you're right, I probably should ask it, it, <laughs> it himself. But I understand they actually, uh, part of the process that led to the investment in DGO is they sat back and reviewed 90 ASX uh, gold explorers slash developers and uh, arrived at you guys and one other, uh, whose name I can't remember at the moment, but... So, you've, in a sense, you've been uh, put through the quality mill there and come out the other side with uh, DGO as one of your uh, substantial shareholders, which is a bit of an endorsement, I guess, for what you're doing. Yes, look, they've been uh, they've actually been very, very good supporters. Uh, they initially invested $5 million back in July of last year, and they topped up with another $3.75 million through the rights issue 
recently, which ended up at their 11%. The other company they've invested in is NTM Gold. Uh, I won't say it's a similar story, but it does have 40 kilometres, I think, off the top of my head of shear zone hosted mineralisation. And that's what they've been looking for, underexplored shear zone areas with the potential for uh, quite large resources. And I think NTM's reporting pretty good results as well. So um, whether they're still looking, I understand they might be. Uh, but at the moment, they're, uh, they're quite busy with us. They're active board members. And, um, you know, I think I've been enjoying their, their input into the board and into the project. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the 1.7 million ounce resource as it currently stands. Uh, you've got 200k strike of shear zones and uh, this interesting development with the intrusion-related uh, uh, discovery at uh, Tarana. The... Three rigs wearing away now. Uh, when can we expect to see some flow of results from the drilling? Yes, look, I think we announced, uh, gee, all the way back in early August that we had three rigs um, up and running and we'll continue to work with three rigs. We've had uh, an air core rig going through that time. We've got two diamond rigs at the moment. We've had an RC rig out there for a while. So we had an announcement on some air core across Melina, which was very, very positive. Um, and we've also announced some information from Taurana, which was actually from June drilling. So you can imagine there is quite a backlog there. We uh, had some problems, and it's certainly not to blame the assay laboratories, but it's indicative of the level of activity in Western Australia at the moment, where there was a backlog of uh, uh, assaying from uh, our particular laboratory and probably the other laboratories as well. We expect that to start catching up fairly soon, and I think we'll start getting a, a more regular release from next week um, as we have drilled Taurana, Malina and Withnall. So there'll be outstanding results from those three main resources, but also we've done a lot of air core across a number of different areas uh, as well across the tenement package. Mm. Uh, what's, what's the company's excitement level around what uh, the Taurana discovery well, Taurana is uh, it's an interesting one. We started there with a zero resource um, two years ago when we first got involved with the, the Indy ground, as we describe it. It's called Indy because we bought Indy Gold Proprietary Limited. It used to be controlled by Range River many, many years ago, and then it was uh, acquired by a Chinese group out of uh, Xi'an. So... Taurano had zero resources when we first uh, had a good look at it and updated the resource base for that ground. We've since taken that from zero to 360,000 ounces, I think the number is at the moment, 356,000 ounces. It, uh, it's a, a granitoid with narrow quartz veins. 99% of the gold is in those narrow quartz veins. Uh, we are quite hopeful that ore sorting techniques will allow us to bulk mine it and then sort the quartz out and pick up most of the gold. And that will add to uh, the recovery of the, of the resource. So we then have an exploration target down to 400 metres. of basically double that resource. I think it's 650 to 800,000 ounces is that exploration target. And if you look at our last uh, result, which was released either late September or early October on Taurana, uh, it is more of the same, ongoing narrow veins, how they all hang together from a resource point of view, 
we will be having our resource geologist uh, look at it. Now, additional to Taurana, because uh, we think it will be able to produce a high-grade or sort of concentrate to go into a, a CIL plant in time, uh, we've also identified another seven Taurana analogues. Whilst we have an expectation, there will be others that are actually currently undercover. So uh, we, as a separate target to the shear zone hosted mineralisation, we have uh, plenty of work to do on these Taurana analogues. And uh, if one or two of them come up, um, yes, will they look like Taurana? Will they be better than Taurana? Et cetera, et cetera. But we, we think we can start adding resources reasonably quickly with some of those. Uh, the other thing about Taurana is that the shape of it, it's quite geometrically, quite cylindrical. So it does leave itself... Uh, well-placed for suitable open pit uh, geometry. We're pretty comfortable that the resource is down to 200 metres that uh, most of the, that gold will come out in an open pit scenario. Mm. Now, I take it you're, with all this drilling that's going on, you're building towards uh, an update of the resource base at some stage? Yes, look, we have said that we uh, believe we will get to 2 million ounces by the end of this year and then we're targeting 3 million ounces by the end of next year. So... We will provide an updated resource uh, for the drilling up until the Christmas period. When will that updated resource come out? Um, I would think probably by the time we get all the assay results back and then get the resources to our uh, resource geologists, etc. Hopefully late January, maybe sort of early to mid-February. Yeah. And what's, what, what are your thoughts on the critical mass uh, needed to then launch into a, a scoping slash production scenario? Look, we have released a scoping study. That was all the way back in August of 2017 at a million tonnes per annum. And it was a bit of a sanity check just to make sure that the economics would stack up. Um, we're pretty comfortable that they do. That was at a million tonne per annum scenario. We have said we're looking at that scale and moving it to a two million tonne per annum scenario. Now, DGO have had some influence in this area and they've been very, very keen to say, well, look, no, let's not go too early into a construction production scenario. Let's uh, show the market that we have a scale here. And that's where this uh, getting to 3 million plus ounces in the start at, as a starting point is really coming from. And uh, at 3 million ounces, we might be on top of a hill looking over and seeing 5 million ounces comfortably in the distance or we might be saying, no, this all stacks up quite nicely. Let's, let's launch through into financing, construction, production. So I think that's a decision. We are certainly working in the background on some economic studies. Um, we expect to have them released at some stage as well. But I think a final uh, let's go decision will be clarified towards the end of next year. And that let's go decision might actually be no, no, we've got to, we're onto something quite bigger here. We might keep going for a while on the drilling side of things. Part of that has been also impacted. It uh, hasn't been an easy market in the gold exploration development sector in the last 12 months. And uh, quite a few of our peers have run into some problems. I don't need to name them. You can probably work that out yourself, Barry. And we have probably because of that changed our focus a little as well and said, okay, we don't want to go down the financing construction route too early at this stage. No, the market does like the concept of sustainable production <laughs> rather than stop-start, people chasing resources. Yeah, well, that's that's true. If we get to 
if we get to 3 million ounces or when we get to 3 million ounces, it does help de-risk the project as well. Um, and the other thing within that 3 million type ounces, we're trying to make sure that we've got significant mining centres whereby, yes, we know we've got five years of ore from Withnull or Malina or Taurana or indeed Wingina. So, um, so there's some consistent feed into the plant as well. So rather than having a whole lot of smaller satellite pits, we're trying to make sure that we've got uh, a, a focus of scale at uh, one or two or three of the resources. Mm. Now, a lot of people might assume that this is all very remote stuff, but uh, logistically you're quite uh, neatly placed, uh, not all that far from Port Hedland. Yes, look, it's uh, and, and Port Hedland and the Pilbara in general is not renowned for its gold production, but uh, there is a lot of infrastructure uh, in the region. There are two towns, Port Hedland and Caratha, that are both... Uh, Port Hedland's a bit closer. Carrara's only 130 k's away. They're both mining services centre as well as obviously oil and gas centres as well. So there is a good workforce. Uh, they are set up for this sort of industry. As a gold developer, we don't need things like rail and ports particularly. Um, obviously, Port Hedland, I think, is the largest port in the Southern Hemisphere, mm. uh, if not the world, with the quantity of iron ore that goes through there. But, uh, yeah, look, we're 60 to 80 kilometres from Port Hedland, depending on which part of our project you get to. We've got two sealed highways from Port Hedland going through the centre of our project area. There's a gas pipeline there. There's a power line within the vicinity as well. So we're infrastructure-wise, we're, we're actually not that remote, whereas people, again, from the Pilbara, oh, that's remote. And certainly where they bring the iron ore in from is 400 kilometres away. But uh, we're quite close to the centre of uh, um, <clears throat> of all the activity at the ports. Mm. Now, given where you're at at the moment and the, the unfolding upside from this drilling program, what do you think about the uh, current valuation of the company on the market? Look, there's a number of different ways that you value these uh, stories. And, and the market has been very, very keen on grade, if you look at uh, uh, Bellevue and Spectrum's another one, where they've been reporting very, very good grades with their intersections. Um, we are, from that point of view, our average grade of our resources is 1.8 grams per tonne. That has gone up. We regularly do report good intersections uh, at 7 to 8 grams per tonne around the place. But uh, when it bulks out, it's, it's a lower grade. But we also need to point out that a large quantity of our resources are oxide resources, most of that, the resources are between zero and 100 metres, certainly zero and 200 metres. So we are talking shallow open pit developments at the moment. It's not to say that uh, the resources won't extend at depth. They're all open at depth and most of them are open along strike as well. So at the moment, for example, with Nor, we are certainly drilling to a, a deeper profile uh, to examine the shear zone as it goes deeper, and we have been doing some work on the potential for underground at Withnall as well. Now, industry, yeah, so industry averages indicate a valuation of $50 per resource ounce. Now, if that was true for us, we should have a valuation of $85 million, whereas, as you said at the start, our valuation is 50 to $55 million. Now, it's very hard to compare apples to apples, of course. Uh, if we were down near Kalgoorlie, our valuation undoubtedly would be much higher because we'd have a lot of different options in terms of uh, mills looking for ore, a lot more development options. 
But if we're down in Kalgoorlie, neither would we have the opportunity that we have with the scale that we have because this could be hosting 20, 30, 40 juniors uh, continuing to explore across this area. So the valuations, we don't have the luxury of having a mill in the vicinity. The local closest mill is probably 250 kilometres away or thereabouts. Right. So I was just going to ask, actually, uh, do you see yourself in the future perhaps playing the role of the consolidator? Because there, is, there are a lot of uh, stranded, quote-unquote, deposits in the, the Pilbara. Yes. So at some stage, I mean, you, you can have first mover advantage in the region, but uh, we do regularly get offered packages of land within our vicinity and the reality is we have so many exploration targets on our own property. Why do we mm-hmm. need another exploration target? We haven't seen any yet that has, uh, you know, so, and reasonable targets, but none of them have said, yes, that's a better target than what we already have. So mm-hmm. uh, I would expect that at some stage there will be a, a project there it will be producing and that there'll be ongoing exploration across this package for the next 20 years and, we would expect the package of land to continue to keep the ore up to the mill anyway. So um, is there only one mill? Who knows? In time, there could easily in such a package of land that there could easily be another mill uh, or, or two in the area. But um, mm. let's not get carried away with ourselves, Barry. We'll just uh, continue to work as we are and see what we uncover. So. True. Okay, Simon, so you've outlined a, an exciting story there and pointed to... Uh, a strong news flow from the uh, the rigs wearing away now. So thank you for your time today and all the best for the future. Okay, thanks very much, Barry.